Hi, I'm Kristen Williams, and I am here with Lisa Cohn, um, who moderated our most recent Theology at the Bottleworks. Uh, we are here on this Christianity in Culture podcast to talk about how different issues of today's culture intersect with um, faith and our theology. And one of the ways that we do this is by having a monthly meeting of Theology in the Bottleworks either on Zoom or this month we met in person for the first time since COVID-19 really hit the U.S., which was fun and exciting. Um, but here on this podcast, we want to really speak a little bit more directly to the Christians and how to think about it, how to talk with other friends and people around you about the topic. Uh, so this month, we did have a very exciting both topic of voting. So Lisa, what did you title the topic and why did you want to talk about it? So the topic was called By the People, For the People, um, and while it was about voting, um, more specifically it was about why we vote the way we do and how we go about determining our voting choices. So we, you know, knowing it's a controversial topic, we didn't want it to just erupt into um, what you might expect with your typical political conversation of, you know, lots of blame back and forth, people misunderstanding each other, miscommunicating, um, and just, you know, walls up all over the place. We didn't want that to happen. We want... Theology of the Bottle Works, we really prize, you know, open, respectful conversation where people um, are able to articulate why they believe what they believe and learn from each other, um, even if they, you know, walk away disagreeing at the end of the day. Um, and so in order to facilitate that kind of conversation with a topic this um, controversial, if you will, we really wanted to make sure that the focus was on um, not, you know, who are you voting for and trying to pitch other people on your candidates of choice, but um, really a focus on um, what are the different considerations that you are taking into account when you are making these choices and, um, you know, how do you go about making that, like, which considerations are most important to you and, and how does that, your worldview, really inform those considerations? Great. Yeah, no, I think it was a really fun and very successful conversation because we did have a lot of very diverse opinions, both politically, theologically, um, and it was almost two hours of totally respectful conversation. So kudos to you as the moderator for helping set the tone with that. And so I'm just curious of how did you kick that off or even think about setting that respectful tone when other people are thinking about how do I have respectful conversations with my friends about why I'm voting the way I'm voting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the first question of the night was pretty key to setting the tone. Um, and what I asked people was, was um, let's brainstorm the different considerations that um, you or others that you know take into account when you're trying to decide who to vote for um, at any level up or down the ballot. So that could include policy positions, can include the candidate's character, uh, the state of the economy, their track record, um, their health, judicial appointments, um, you know, their trustworthiness, their um, relatability, just all these different um, considerations that people are taking into account. And the theory behind that is, is usually that when someone just agrees with you, they usually don't 
like the things about a candidate that you hate the most, right? So like if you perceive that someone has, you know, deep, deep character flaws, in general, people aren't voting for that candidate because they don't see those character flaws or they completely, you know, love everything about this candidate's character, right? Like they are seeing in many cases, like they generally see the things that you see, but they have some other prioritization, like maybe a particular policy stance or set of policy stances that, um, you know, are just, you know, very important to them. And that's the reason for it. And so I think in order to have a respectful conversation on these issues, it's important to realize that, that, you know, you may find something about some, a candidate completely abhorrent, but that doesn't mean, you know, if someone, you know, is voting for that candidate anyway, that doesn't necessarily mean they enjoy those things about that candidate, but they may just have other things that um, they, you know, really do appreciate that are really important to them. And that's where worldview comes in is really being able to say, because of my worldview, I have X, Y, Z priority. And that, you know, is what, and because of those priorities, that's how I decide how I'm going to vote and, you know, what, which of these considerations is going to be my highest priority in um, making those voting choices. Great. Yeah, no, I agree that it was helpful to get all those different issues and thoughts out there in the open. I was wondering if you had a favorite question of the night. Was there any one in particular that you were really both looking, either looking forward to asking or once you ask it, thought, this is how I wanted the conversation to shape? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I definitely love that first question just in terms of setting the tone, but then in terms of later questions. Um, so most of the later questions, um, you know, were focused on some of the specifics of these different considerations and diving a little bit deeper. Um, and so, you know, I liked a lot of, of different, you know, of those specifics talking about like what policy stances are are most important to you or like what character qualities are most important to you or what aspects of, you know, a character candidate's past are most important to you. Like what do you want to see, you know, in a candidate's history or track record that um, could convince you to vote for them. But then I think after that, we took a step back and and kind of asked the question of, um, you know, like how important do you think this is? Like we have an election right now where, you know, people on both sides are saying like the state of our democracy depends on your vote. That like, I think the phrase that I use is like, we could end up with either a fascist dictator or like a socialist, um, you know, free for all or whatever, if, you know, and that's really the pressure that's being put on us as voters. Um, and, and, I thought it was really interesting to be able to ask. So like, to what extent do you think that's true? And to what extent um, do you think that if, you know, your candidates of choice are elected, that, you know, there will be genuine, meaningful, long-term change in this country. And I think um, just being able to hear from people about both like the, this change that we can expect and the extent to which you're like, yes, this does really matter. While at the same time, there are some, maybe some limits on um, how much change we can expect from any fallible human being. I think just hearing people make sense of that and then put that in the context of their worldview um, and really sharing like, why, why do we think, you know, why are humans limited in making change or um, why do these things matter so much? You know, I think, um, you know, worldview is really important to that. And the Christian worldview, I think has important things to say on both of those points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it was a really uh, great moment when, one of the people in the crowd who was a Christian talked about how 
while she did participate a lot in the political process and use government and voting as a means for practical change, that her ultimate hope and control was not in government and politics, but in God and in that belief that there is someone greater and in control and that peace that it can bring of having that perspective, I thought was a really lovely point to bring into the conversation. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think, I think there was, I I think the people there did a good job of kind of balancing the tension that we see of like, on one level, um, you know, Christianity tells us that yes, God is sovereign and that we do have this, you know, abiding peace and, you know, no matter how we vote, no matter who takes office, that God's kingdom is supreme and that, you know, one day all of the horrible things that we see are going to be made right. And that is, you know, regardless of how much damage is is done by people in office. So, you know, of reminding us of that piece, but then also of also, you know, reminding us that, you know, part of being a Christian is loving our neighbors well and that policy decisions and, um, you know, the character of, you know, who is in office does make a difference in terms of how we love our neighbors and how our neighbors will experience Christ's love um, in the coming years. And so, you know, remembering both like, you know, these things matter. And as Christians, we do have, you know, a duty, not just to our country, but, you know, to God, to, to care about them. But also we also have this ultimate piece of knowing that it isn't ultimately in our hands and that, um, that God does reign sovereign and that he is going to, you know, bring about the lasting change that no fallible human candidate ever could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also liked how you had us think about um, why we vote, kind of not only just kind of the, like we talked about opening with some brainstorming of all the different types of issues and prioritizations. Um, But there was one point in the evening where I think you had asked us kind of like, what policy issues are the most important to you? And that was really in, impactful for me because while I went into the conversation thinking that I was more of a policy voter um, and having uh, several different types of policies being kind of main drivers behind my choice for candidate, I realized that I actually take character a lot more into consideration all up and down the ticket. Um, that I changed my mind or had insight into how I have changed probably is a better way of saying this, that I remember specific policies from previous elections that I was voting or prioritizing. Uh, but when I think about how now, how I've changed a little bit in thinking about my choices for different candidates, um, that I do look a lot at character and, track record in the sense of how they responded to multiple situations before. Um, And thinking, I think probably because of realizing how each one of the positions, whether it's president of the United States or it's one of the circuit judges or governor, or again, whichever one of the many positions that we have the opportunity to vote upon in this upcoming election that much of those jobs are making a lot of decisions. Um, And so thinking about how 
caring or forthright or really for me, one of the biggest things is can someone grow and admit that they are wrong um, and learn and be willing to listen to others Um, that I don't think I would have said that quite as much. And that's a really hard thing because I do think, especially when someone's running for office, it's really hard to put yourself in that position of like, I don't know everything, but you should vote for me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I thought that was just really an interesting part of the conversation um, that, like I said, had me change my mind um, on how I would answer that question. Yeah, no, I love that you said that. I think, I mean, A, that's what we hope for in Theology of the Bottle Works, that by listening to, you know, other people's perspectives, we can, you know, fine-tune our own and realize, like, oh, huh, I may not, you know, (laughs) have the the same perspective that I walked in with or or maybe that I have been growing over time and just didn't realize it. Um, And I love the, the specific example that you pointed to also of valuing someone who, you know, is willing to admit when they're wrong and grow, because I think that is very countercultural, um, but it is also very, you know, gospel, gospel laced, if you will, just in that we have, you know, a leader who is both lion and lamb, right? So despite being completely sovereign and perfect, also, you know, is willing to be weak and, and tender. And I think that's something that's often undervalued in our culture, you know, equality of just being able to, yeah, admit when you're wrong and show humility and, and not, you know, always, uh, come across as having it together, if you will. And I think, I think that's really beautiful to be able to, to see that quality in a leader and and cherish it and and to miss it when it's not there. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I agree. It's rare. So when we do see it, it's like, Ooh, I think I want to vote for that person, regardless of which, you know, side of the ticket they're on. So yeah, absolutely. So how did you wrap up this long conversation and how are you even thinking about wrapping it up? So as we both moderate bottle works several times, I know that there are times that you have one ending plan and maybe the conversation doesn't quite go in that direction. And so I've now secrets out. I have a habit of getting multiple endings <laughs> ready. <laughs> So just thinking about wrapping up uh, even before the conversation or during the conversation. I was, yeah. And I think, um, you know, over the course of the conversation, I was blown away by just how diverse um, the the opinions in the, I was about to say room, but we weren't actually in a room. We were outside under a pavilion. So diverse the opinions under the pavilion were. Um, It was just, I mean, I think it was good for me because I think, you know, it's easy for any of us to end up in a bubble, right? And so I think it was a good, I really appreciated just seeing like the full um, expression of of the range of different views that can be found in, in this country, seeing, you know, Trump voters, Biden voters, and third party voters, and, you know, everything all kinds of, you know, diversity in that regard. I think that was really, really good for me to see. And I think for a lot of us to see, um, but I think that was really on my mind as I was thinking about closing is just like realizing that, you know, closing is when I, you know, I'm still the moderator, but I get to, you know, put in my two cents, if you will. Um, but also wanting to be really mindful of the fact that, you know, my perspective is just my perspective. And when I save it till the end and share it, it has a lot of power and I don't want to, um, you know, inject something into the conversation that's unhelpful. Like I want to end on a note that everyone can can rally around and a note that, you know, points people toward Jesus a little bit more. Um, 
And so my kind of ending point was a, you know, kind of emphasizing the idea of of unity and respect despite um, disagreement and using the example of, um, I was reading a a column recently from someone who um, has has gotten thousands of death threats recently because of some legislation that he worked on. Um, And it was, you know, he was writing about, um, you know, his attitude basically towards the group that that was threatening him. And, um, you know, I read a quote from it that basically just expressed him like showing this deep compassion for them, you know, rather than saying like, these are all horrible, hateful people who um, are ignorant or, you know, just need, we just need to get rid of them. He was basically just like, you know, many of these people are not hateful. They have been going through like, you know, decades of, of economic decline compounded by a pandemic and isolation and, um, you know, some more time on social media, which makes it easier to believe conspiracy theories, like all of this stuff, just like this compassion of, um, you know, even though he finds what they're doing completely abhorrent. Um, just still like really digging in and trying to understand where they're coming from and, and to find, you know, the Imago Dei, if you will, you know, this, this person I quoted definitely would not, um, I believe he was Jewish. He wouldn't consider himself a Christian, but like basically what he was doing was still like seeking to find the Imago Dei, the image of God in the people who were literally persecuting him on the spot um, and seeking to have compassion and to understand and, and to really think like, what would it take to make this country better for them so they no longer feel the need to make these threats, to place blame on someone, to find a scapegoat. Um, And I think that was a really powerful example. And as I was reading it, it kind of reminded me of of Jesus being on the cross and saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. You know, and I think that's such a powerful example to us as we disagree with others, because, you know, most of the time, obviously, you know, we have some like we're probably not as right as we think we are. And we probably have something to learn from the other people that are, be, you know, are disagreeing with us. But like, let's just say we're in the rare scenario where we actually are completely right. And that, you know, the other side is completely wrong. We're doing something that is morally important, like death threats, for example, you know, even in those cases as Christ followers, like, we're still called to to echo Jesus on the cross when he was, you know, completely in the right. His the people persecuting him were completely in the wrong, and to say, "Forgive them, Father; they know not what they do." And so, to really, you know, when we feel like even the people who disagree with us are are wrong and are, you know, advocating for something that that has serious moral consequences, to still look for the reasons behind it and and have compassion and and just long for for their forgiveness. Yeah, that is beautiful and much easier said than done, especially in the moment. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, but I agree that that would, that that as we are literally, you know, Christ followers, that meaning of Christian, um, to emulate him and think about what does that mean even in political conversation or political dialogue um, is a beautiful picture of being very countercultural. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to like make sure too, that I wasn't sounding trite in the way that I talked about, you know, unity or respect. Like I think it can be easy to hear that, you know, and to just be like, of course, of course we hear this all the time, you know, we're we're supposed to respect people, but like it can be easy. I think still, you know, when the stakes are high to be like, no, but this is the exception. This is, you know, the time where it's okay to not respect people. It's okay to not, um, you know, 
to not care because they're the thing that this side believes or the thing that the other side is doing is just that bad, you know? Um, and so I think just like really, you know, as I've looked, been reading the Bible recently and looking at Jesus's example, um, it's been really convicting for me personally to realize that, you know, the example that he sets is that radical is one that, you know, really does seek to love people despite like the worst kind of persecution and that that's what we're called to as well um, in, in this political season and always. So, you know, that was the lesson that I was learning as I was moderating this. And, um, and yeah, and I hope it's, you know, a lesson that all of us can continue to learn throughout the season that I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's not going to end right after the election. I'm sure we're going to continue to be in a season of division for a while. So, you know, I hope that all of us can, um, especially those of us who who claim to follow Christ, can um, really look at that example and lean into it and and seek to to find, you know, understanding and compassion for people who disagree with us and really, you know, learn to be more like Jesus in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, this doesn't seem like a a sports game where after fierce competition, we all go out for drinks together on November 4th. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that is, you know, it's funny because one of the last question that I asked before that closing was like, imagine it's October, 2024. Um, you know, four years later, we're at the point where we're deciding again, who we're going to vote for, for, for president and all these other positions. Like, what do you want to be true of this country? What kind of societal flourishing do you want to see? Um, and, you know, I was fascinated by the number of people who said, you know, something to do with unity and respect or loving, loving your neighbor, you know, like, I think, you know, it's so easy for us as as fallen humans who, um, you know, are looking for someone to blame, to um, to want to find scapegoats in the moment, to think that our policy positions are so important that it's worth, you know, pushing other people down for the sake of being right. But like, I think at the end of the day, that that imago dei inside of us, that image of God, really does long for unity and does long for respect across lines, and and just wants to, you know have people come together. So I, you know, I pray that despite the contentiousness during this election cycle, that that spirit will prevail and that over time we can, you know, work to bring that side of of us all out rather than the the side that is more tempted toward scapegoating and blaming and division. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, um, what, how would you answer that question? now of what do you hope for October in 2024? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I definitely, as someone who works in prison reentry and someone who, you know, works with, you know, people who are, are some of the most marginalized in society, you know, one of the first things I would say is definitely that, you know, things for the most marginalized among us would be better than they are right now. You know, we're in the midst of a deadly pandemic, but affects some of the most marginalized people more than others. We're in the mix of an economic downturn that, again, affects the most marginalized people in our society. Um, and, you know, we're in a period of, um, of protests over social injustice, which also, again, back to the most marginalized. So, you know, I would pray for things to be better there. That's something that I hope um, we can see. But, you know, even, even beyond that, you know, I think we see that Jesus has like special priority for marginalized people in, you know, throughout the gospel. So I think that is important to me. Then he also does, you know, care for all people and value unity and value, um, you know, seeing people for, 
for who they are and who, you know, they can be, who he made them to be. Um, and so I think, you know, while I would hope that um, we can have, you know, a special compassion for the marginalized and that these next four years can be characterized by, um, you know, doing things that repair some of the harm that's been done to them um, throughout this pandemic and honestly throughout most of our history, um, you know, I would also really hope that, you um, we don't replace that, but that doesn't become like a religion in our country, if you will, because I think it's easy um, for anyone to get so caught up in a co- specific cause, right? And in, in one policy position or even, you know, even something that is really God glorifying and, um, you know, still, still be against others, you know, and still not want to bring everyone into that. Um, common cause. And so, you know, I always, I I appreciate people like Martin Luther King, right, who like, still, despite um, being very, very passionately pro marginalized people in in devoting his life to making things better for for people um, who who didn't have a voice and who were being treated cruelly and unjustly by our system, that he still genuinely longed for for everybody to come together um, in for even people who disagreed with him and who were, you know, being actively hateful toward him to be part of um, a beloved community was the term that he used. Um, One in which people of all races were able to come together and love each other and all experience um, equality under God. And so, you know, I would pray that, that, um, you know, Martin Luther King's vision of beloved community would become a reality in you know, or at least closer to reality in these next four years, because we know that, you know, that can't truly become a reality until Jesus returns. But what about you, Kristen? Um, yeah, I think kind of in a different version of that, um, I'm hoping that the n- newspapers are talking about the new Republicans and the new Democrats, um, about how we kind of break molds a little bit from the current molds because they are so polarized and portrayed as antithetical that I think that if we have this concept of a new Republican or a new Democrat, that that means that we've started to maybe meet in the middle or started to reprioritize um, some things. So I think that'll be interesting to see if and how um, that evolves. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So in our last few minutes here, I wonder if we could just together kind of brainstorm some tips. So knowing that we've talked about these really big and weighty topics, painted some really um, beautiful aspirations of how we as Christians could respond, but also knowing how it can be really hard. And especially in this moment, if it's something that people have not had a lot of practice of talking with people with diverse opinions, or again, we hear all the time about how when people, you know, family members of different political viewpoints are having trouble getting together over the holidays um, because of the two parties being so polarized right now, that what are some practical things that we could offer to people to help have respectful, beautiful, God-honoring conversations? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good, important question, especially right now. I mean, I think the biggest one for me is really trying to understand why people believe what they believe and ask good questions to, you know, proactively get at that point. So rather, you know, when you hear, I think it's easy when you hear someone disagree with you to assume you know why 
to assume, you know, you understand exactly the reasons for their decision. That it's just like all those other people on that side. When in reality, you know, there's no prototype on even that we have two political parties. There's no prototypical Democrat. There's no prototypical Republican. There's a lot of diversity on on both sides of the equation and, and people who don't, you know, even identify with a side of that equation. Um, and, you know, a wide variety of ways that, um people get to where they get to from, you know, whether it be like their values that they get from their faith or from their personal experience or um, from people around them. There's just so many sources. And so understanding where that, um, where that view comes from. Um, I had a moment like that actually in this conversation of, um, you know, there's a gentleman there who talked about being very pro death penalty. Um, and, you know, I, especially given my line of work and, you know, very against death penalty. And so I, you know, started to have like a gut reaction when I, when I heard that. Um, but then he started talking a little bit more about where, you know, that view comes from and, um, with losing a loved one, um, in his case from, you know, a drunk driver, um, I think like hearing about that tragedy and realizing like, oh, okay, this isn't, you know, just like an arbitrary view that he came up with. Like this is rooted in like a really powerful personal experience. And it makes sense that based on that, he might come to a different conclusion than I would as someone who, you know, is working with people who are incarcerated and um, who sees up close, maybe, you know, a lot of false accusations um, and, and racial injustice that like we would have different views on this kind of thing. And it's not because we like, you know, are coming from the same perspective and coming to different conclusions. It's because we come from different perspectives and, you know, have had different life experiences or exposed to different people. And it, and it makes more sense and that it's, you know, easy to then respect differences when you um, are really understanding where, where the other person's coming from. And I think often we just aren't curious enough about, where other people are coming from and assume what we know fully. So I think that would be my biggest tip. Um, do you have additional ones, Kristen? Mm, the thing that comes to mind is to um, say up front that you're going to be quiet and listen, that I think so often, even, even when we're trying to listen, like you said, you know, we hear something and that just like, Oh, provoke something in us that like, but I need to say something. I need to correct that. And so if you, acknowledge the conversation up front, particularly if it's, if you're not um, commonly having conversations with people with different viewpoints and, or if you're approaching a conversation with someone with whom it hasn't gone well before to just say, Hey, I really want to hear about why you are voting the way you're voting or why you have these uh, are supporting this candidate. Um, so much so that I'm not going to share with you anything about how I'm voting or have any reactions other than curiosity questions. And if you really want to know how I think, let's make another date to do that. Um, that I think that putting that somewhat extreme communicates that like, nope, I really want to listen. I'm not trying to just open up the conversations so that I can slam in my own opinion when you say the right uh, word uh, and open the door in a certain way. Um, and I think that that type of kind of radical listening and humility um, may help conversations go a little bit better. And like you said, open up our eyes to um, having a deeper respect for why people vote and think and um, believe the way that they do. I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Christianity and Culture. 
brought to you by Theology at the Bottle Works. Yeah, thank you guys all so much for coming and <laughs> we to see you at our next Theology at the Bottle Works, either in person or on Zoom. Thank you for listening to Christianity and Culture. For news about upcoming events and where we're meeting, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Theology at the Bottleworks.